0: All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Healthier Vibrations. I'm Dr. Christy Smurl, and today we are going to be discussing a very important concept, and we're going to explore the multifaceted concepts of Agni. So many of you already know my background as a doctorate of Ayurvedic medicine, as well as a master of science, nurse practitioner, and a yoga teacher trainer. In addition to being a university professor, I've been writing more information and sharing publicly about my life studies. So if we're not already connected, please contact me or get connected on my website, HealthierVibrations.com, and you can find the links to the podcast we're going to be talking about today, any online classes, YouTube, and all that good stuff. So today we have a special guest, Craig Williams. Welcome, Craig. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about a wonderful subject and a concept called Agni. So we're going to work on taking apart the different concepts and aspects of Agni in how it relates to our overall health, how it relates to developmental processes of the consciousness as well as how it works in our overall body and our overall health so we're going to be looking at agni related to our digestion and nutrition agni related to the health of our overall body and physical constituents agni related to our immune system and resiliency to disease as well as Agni related to our mental fortitude and our relationship to advanced consciousness development. So let me take a minute to introduce Craig. For those of you who haven't um, watched the previous podcast that he's been on, you can go back and access those. But for those of you who are new to Craig, Craig's name is also Indra Ram Das Aghori. He has a bachelor's degree in religious science, which is mainly focused on Eastern religion. He also has a master's degree in Oriental medicine and is a licensed acupuncturist. So it'd be nice today to get some Chinese medicine correlation in there also. Absolutely. He's certified East West herbalist and a member of the American herbalist guild, as well as a certified health coach, running coach, fitness and holistic nutritionist. He's also got a lot in common with my credentials, and so I always like to bounce different subjects back and forth because he's trained in Ayurveda, yoga, Vedanta, and Tantra, and studied under David Frawley and the American Institute of Vedic Studies, as well as was awarded the titles of Veda Covid and Yogacharya. He's also certified in the uh, Academy of Traditional Ayurveda. And in addition to that, he's an ordained bishop in the Ecclesia Nostica Nigra, and author of several books that I've greatly enjoyed reading. One was Entering the Desert, the other is Cult of Gogatha, The Cave of the Numinous, and as well as the Tantric Physics Volume 1, which I still have not received because it's out of print, and I'm looking forward to reading it because coming up is the Volume 2, and They'll both be together, right?
1: Yeah, we'll put them both together so the copy of volume one that was sold out, to everybody will just automatically get when they get the new one. So, All
0: right, nice, good, good. So lately I've been writing my book on integrating Western medicine with Ayurvedic medicine as well as yogic techniques and sciences. And I kept circling back to the concept of Agni. Mm -hmm. And so today I wanted to talk about Agni on multiple levels, not only Agni as a thermal force or a solar force, or some people will refer to Agni as a solar Shakti, but also as a mediator for physical homeostasis and how it is important to the balance of our biological humors, or in Ayurveda, you know that we call them doshas. So most people at home are familiar or might be familiar with Vata-Pitta-Kapha, and talk about how Agni is critical for maintaining the balance of those doshas in relationship to our Dhatus, which are our body tissues, and our Shrotas. And so we'll, you know, tie all of that in first but first I wanted to get your input on traditionally in Ayurveda practitioners learn about Agni as the modulating force or as a modulator of the overall body functions, metabolism, transformation of all types and a lot of Lightly trained Ayurvedic practitioners only perceive Agni as being in the gut. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that Agni we've got in the gut is called Jatar Agni. And we know that there's other types of Agni, even vag Vagbatha, don't want to say that wrong, understood that there were three more related to the malas in the body. And then we know that we have agnis that are related to the five elements, the pancha and how those come together into our doshas, as well as agni in our Saptadatus, our corresponding seven body tissues. And those at home, if they've studied Ayurveda, they know that we have our rasarak, the mamsa made, the asti manja, sukra. And then we understand that when that Agni goes out of balance, all of the functions in the body begin to go out of balance. So I wanted to get your input, especially because you've got the integrated Chinese medicine background, on the importance of Agni especially in nutrition and exercise in maintaining the homeostasis of the entire body?
1: Yeah, I think that if you bring up a really good point about the idea of Agni only being in the gut or in the <laughs> stomach. And, and, and they, they tend to teach that fundamentally in Ayurveda, and for good reason. It's, a, it's an easy concept for people to wrap their mind around. But I think a, a more fundamental way to view this is we can literally even trace it back to the Vedas and to the Rig Veda and see how Agni was seen as a, a messenger. It was some type of sacrificial force that was communicating between humans and the larger cosmos, essentially. So it's, just some, it's a facilitating communication system in the body. And it relates to how, of course, how our gut receives input that we, we give in, how it kind of transmutes that and then spreads that throughout the body that we would call that digestion. But then it also is how the body distributes that on a metabolic level, on a cellular level, um, and then how it excretes that. And so all that's kind of going on at the same time. And then we bring in the factor of there is some type of defense mechanism. There is something about Agni which protects us. So then we have a factor of the immune system. And once that would be the communication system of how our body turns our immune activity on or off. And we can see, you know, if there's problems with that, we would have autoimmunity or we would have chronic sickness because there's a low functioning immunity. So it's the is a very pervasive concept that in my opinion really needs to be taken out of just this concept of just digestion, uh, at least digestion in the gut. It's, It's an aspect of awareness. I always talk about Agni as awareness. It's a cognitive digestion. Um, It's the ability of our nervous system to be calm and a parasympathetic response. And then once that's in that, our body can communicate more efficiently, modulate ideas more efficiently. Um, So it's both a psychological level, a physiological level, a functional level of how our nervous system kind of transmutes back and forth between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system Um, and all that's going on in a beautiful dance and and to me fundamentally when you really dive into agni that's when you see the beauty of the human body uh, the beauty of our connection to nature and our connection to the cosmos
0: yeah thank you for that because when i've talked to different people who have studied Ayurveda, and when you look back into the books, you see that Chataka, for instance, had, I believe it was 13 different types of Agni, Yes, yes and yes, Bhagbata had 18 different types of Agni. But mm-hmm. then I start coming into different texts that have all these other different terms and references for Agni. So, you know, my first instinct with my regular Western medicine training is to say, okay, how is this concept of Agni modulating all of these different forces in our body? So I dive into, you know, the, the anatomy portion. And, and so when you study Agni, we understand that if the Agni is off in the body because we're eating too heavy of foods or too damp of foods that we weaken the digestive Agni. But then we also begin to understand that each tissue level has its own dagni, uh, Agni. So each of these Satta has its own intelligence of how it transforms our nutrition and distributes it out. And that if that Agni becomes out of balance, then we start having clogging of the shrotas, you know, stuffy noses, coughing, or digestive problems, constipation, or the Agni can go to the point where it is too high. So like in the gut, we see things like teekshna agni, right. where the digestive fire, as they would call it, is too aggressive. So what I'm really interested too, especially with your background, is how much does just plain exercise <laughs> facilitate proper agni, not just in the gut, not just in the tissues but all over the body because you know it's one thing to say oh i exercise but how much is really needed to stimulate the agni
1: yeah that's an important question that's something that is a huge part of i would say my life's work is to convey that idea to people that that movement and activity is a key factor for longevity and physical health and so any kind of exercise is something which can stimulate Agni via preventing stagnation and also distributing body heat and warmth throughout the body. I think one of the key factors with that is that someone needs to find a type of exercise that they enjoy. And so if it's a type of exercise that they enjoy, if it's a type of movement that they enjoy, then you get substantial benefits from that as far as Agni. And we can see that when we look at the data on exercise in mood elevation, for example, or exercise in the benefits of depression. I mean, it's substantial. Um, it, it's, there's really hard data for that. It makes consent, We know that. And so that's where we can kind of see what that's happening. That means the physical body or a, a metabolic change in the physical body is causing a psychological improvement. Um, and so I think those are key factors that we, we really need to discuss and convey those ideas. And I, Particularly, think that the Ayurvedic community has really faltered on that. I think that's a problem within the Ayurvedic community in large. They tend to just say, "Well, we have yoga, and that's our exercise, and that's it." Um, but there needs to be more. If people love yoga, that's fine. But there also needs to be this overall aerobic movement. Or depending on someone's datus, they might need more muscle, this kind of strengthening exercises for bone health for women, of course, and muscular health. So all the datus come into play, diagnostic perspective from that. Um, and also, it's a good tree dish. We can know that if athletes train too hard, they get digestion problems. Mm-hmm. And so we can, so we can see that there's a balance there too, just as we have levels of agni that can be too low, they can be erratic, they can be too high, or they can be balanced. Our engagement with exercise is the same way. It can be too high, too low, erratic, or a nice balance. And so I think that's what we need to shoot for.
0: Yeah, I like that you brought that up because I see people who are extremely physically fit, but they have mental and digestive problems. And sometimes I I often speculate that for their body constitution, for the way that they are put together from an Ayurvedic standpoint, are they doing too much are they creating too much load on their body and we understand that you know the type of exercise you do may not be appropriate for your body type and that stagnancy of the tissues that you mentioned i found myself in that exact problem i finished my doctorate of ayurveda i finished my yoga teacher training and i found myself doing more yoga yeah. yoga asana, and yeah. not doing enough cardiovascular so I put on 40 pounds and yeah. at my age that is not beneficial and I think that we are in a society that many of the population much of the population has lost the concept that they must exercise their bodies I yeah. remember in Ayurveda school Dr. J he said you should exercise a minimum of 20 minutes a day to the point of sweat. Right. And, yeah. you know, just something that basic, people, not everybody, but many people are failing to do that.
1: That's very true. Yeah. And I, and I think we, we can see that through all the problems we have with. Inactivity and this obsession with like don't sit down and standing desks and all these kind of things. There's an, a certain awareness that the medical community is trying to bring out, but it's more, that that's not going to solve the problem. You know, excessive standing can cause just as many problems as excessive sitting. <laughs> so we just need engagement and movement. And then for me, a big part of that is an engagement and a movement is also psychologically uplifting. Um, and then it brings some joy and inspiration. And so that's the key for me is that we're always trying to find what is the kind of a movement that makes someone happy.
0: And then yeah. we- you know, I think that that's so critical for Agni myself. I don't like running. I right. just don't like right. running. I don't yeah. like jump roping. I don't yeah. like going to a gym and running on a treadmill. I feel like I'm, I'm being punished during those exercises. Yeah, yeah Totally. And so for me, I have to find things, you know, like using a punching bag or a kicking bag, something that'll get my heart rate up, but that I actually yes. enjoy doing.
1: Yeah, that's the key. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of our relationships to exercise are things that we grew up with. And so some people are just going to be attracted to certain things by what they grew up with or attracted to certain things based on their their dosha. And so we need. To, we try to find that. We try to find whatever that is. Um, and then, if there are certain areas where that they need some some encouragement or lacking, then we can give them the correct education and help them to see creative ways to use that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think that. But that is a fundamental idea: is that exercise and movement is a foundational aspect of physiological and psychological health, in particular related to how optimism is expressed.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. So you know. For those that are listening to this at home, I hope that you don't think that this is just a focus on go exercise, but especially with things going on right now, if you are in your home and not going out to a gym or public places, you need to be exercising at home and adapting ways to continue to move the body so that you have a good immune system is And the immune system is what I want to talk about next. So in Ayurveda, we understand that there's a concept called Shrota Samya. And Shrota Samya is the state in which health is balanced through the shrotas. And the shrutas are these channels which carry nutrients or substances, because not all of them are physical. We know, and we'll talk about later on, the mind channels, which are invisible channels, and those don't carry Food per se, they carry substances. So, when we're talking about the concept of shrotas, we understand that if we aren't eating correctly, we're not going to have the right nutrients to go to those tissues, those datus, the rasa, rakta, mamsa, etc. But we also understand that if we have that stagnancy in agni at any level of the body, we can develop disease not only because of the clogging, the congestion, or the overdrawing, but because it affects our ojas. So can you talk a little bit about the real importance of that sukradatu and ojas for our overall vitality?
1: Absolutely. I think when we talk about shrotas, you can see a clear relationship, for example, within Chinese medicine and their concept of the meridians. And and that's typically that this is a very traditional idea in these systems of medicine. They're basically lines of communication. And that's what we're seeing. And that once again ties us back to that Vedic concept of Agni as some type of messenger. It's some type of systemic body communication system that, that, of course, will facilitate the diffusion of substances but will also facilitate the diffusion of messages as well too. So like you said, it's substantial and it can also be insubstantial. Um, and so we see that and that's where we see things like, you know, Marna therapy and massage therapy and acupuncture, you know, we can use these ideas to kind of convey how that might be working. It might seem kind of like a mystical concept when you see these ancient posters that have mapped out the shrotas, but it's, it's just a, a very powerful symbolism of how our body communicates. Uh, it's, it's quite simple actually. And then we have Ojas, which is this deep, innate reservoir of immune potential. Um, And I like to refer to Ojas, too, as the potential for the expression of the Atman. Um, And that's the potential. It's a potential there. And so that means that if someone has a large amount of physical strength, a large amount of psychological strength, a large amount of physical balance, then they have the greatest opportunity to express their karma in this lifetime. And so, and of course, Ojas is once again, as we talked about Agni is sometimes it's to be only a digestive substance. Ojas sometimes is, Oh, that's just this mystical immune system factor that we can, that we're going to find in the in the laboratory. And if we find that, then we can just sell Ojas in a pill. Um, it's not it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, there are of course physiological expressions of it, but it's very much connected to what Chinese medicine would call, essence or Jing that you've, you've inherited this from your mother and your father. And then that comes in and then coupled with that, I would say with your own karma, and then you have like a a bank account of Ojas that you're born with. And then some people have more, some people have less. And so we want to keep that or we want to cultivate that. And, And yes, that does come through healthy diet, healthy movement, but it also comes through a healthy engagement with reality. Uh, and it comes to psychological balance and also psychological inspiration and satisfaction. Um, you know, there's I mean, there, we can even argue and say you had a great example of maybe people who do too much. If we look at like people who are obsessed with health food, and they are they become so obsessed that they that they become apparently almost a type of paranoia that takes over them. Mm-hmm. And it, when they when they eat like that, that's not a way of eating which will give them deep OGIS, even though on paper, the food looks very good, but they are, they're, they're so stressed and worried. You might take someone that's eating maybe a non-organic food, but they're so happy with what they're eating and they're eating it in a beautiful environment. And it was made with love and they're very inspired and their body can extract much more out of that. It's, it's a very fascinating concept.
0: Um, but- yeah. And I think that the concept of Agni that the way we sit down and eat our food, the way we think about our food, the way we think about our bodies, the way we think about the world outside of us, if we're engaging all those sense organs, if we're engaging all of our mental faculties, that the Agni can shine through more radiantly even in what some people would consider less optimal living conditions or less optimal social conditions.
1: Absolutely. It's key. And then we, and we can see that our relation, our relationship to, to food affects a functioning of ojas and Agni um, the environment we eat has a connection to Ogis and Agni. Um, and then also our perception of, how this food connects us to the greater community at large and all that's connected. We're in a matter of fact, we're karmically connected to how we consume food. Mm-hmm. And so that's, it's a larger aspect that goes on with that. We have, and we, you know, we have personal OGIS. We also have a community OGIS and we have a, you know, the earth has an OGIS. And so we, it's very fascinating to discuss those ideas.
0: Um, yeah, I was even, you know, going the complete opposite direction in my mind too, and thinking about, you know, most optimal agni also affects the most minute cellular energy, yes. and all the way down to the ATP of the cell. And would we think of ojas and agni just inside a single cell operating?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the mitochondria is. A factory of ogis um, and and we have to look at, and we can see that now, you know, through functional medicine, when we see people have mitochondrial deficiencies um, or gene dysfunctions, and they can cause systemic problems, and so that's a big part of we, we, we to look at that is the cellular health, it's, because the cells are basically essentially a, a mini cosmos, a mini universe, and and our body is made up of these little mini universes, and if there's any kind of dysfunction there. And it can it'll cause dysfunction in the larger scene, just like it's a very um, integrated view of the world. Um, our, our cells are like communities, and then they they, got, they make larger communities, and larger countries, and larger ideas with that. So we, everything from health goes back down to the cellular level, you know, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, and talking about just the cellular health, it's interesting that um, you know the cell doesn't eat greens. The cell doesn't eat a, you know, olive. The cell is, you know, requiring that the Agni break down and facilitate the most basic elemental nutrient for that cell. And how much does exercise facilitate that. You know, I often will see you make a post of, I don't know, it's a a watch. You've got these monitors on it. Me, I don't like wearing electronic items, but you know, when you're doing your cardiovascular work, the importance of increasing that aerobic activity all the way down to the function of the immune system in the ATP transference.
1: It's huge. Um, and, And that's a really important thing for us to understand that when we exercise, we're getting a metabolic stimulus. Um, And in particular, we can see that's very important in the issues with type two diabetes and insulin reactivity, that more people, as we exercise more, our body becomes more sensitive to insulin, more efficient at dealing with it. And that's just simply movement, even without changing the diet. So if we would have more movement and change the diet, then we would see systemic effects on the cellular level, of how the body can digest not only food, but digest how insulin can signal cells to open or close to a lot of substances in or out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the elephant in the room with a lot of these diseases is a lot of people just don't want to talk about that movement is key. And it doesn't mean that exercise is going to solve all the problems, but it's a large piece of the pie um, yeah. for, without a doubt.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and I know that people who typically don't exercise enough, they, accumulate too much medadatu too much of the fat and that causes kind of a damp moist body but i'm interested in chinese medicine of the opposite people who exercise too aggressively and too much and the effect of that that heat moving into their body um because i know in ayurveda if the heat rises too much in the body that we end up with vata being yep. aggravated in the body heat and vata. So it's like this dry, windy body environment, which can also dramatically lower the Ojas and immune system.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, and I do get this question a lot because I participate in a, in a lot of extreme exercises. And so oftentimes people will ask me about this, excuse me, my dog here a second is um, getting in on the show. Um, is that uh, we have to take that into consideration. So number one, we have to consider constitu- constitutional viria or strength. If some, some people are just gonna be more able to train at a higher level and be more efficient, and of course we can see that um, some athletes are just gifted, they have a constitutional gift, and that yes, they work hard, but that's where we see the difference. Everyone can put in the same amount of effort, but not everyone is gonna recover as quickly. Not everyone is gonna feel as good the next day. That's what makes an elite athlete elite. They're able to more consistently do higher level workouts and feel okay. And then of course there's a tipping point there. That's where that's when the you know ex- elite coaching comes in, where you have to really tweak and find the details and, and that's a science in and all of itself. So I think that we have to be realistic and we have to understand that our engagement with activity. Um, since it is a type of Agni, it, it's also, it's a type of, um, and it's like a type of uh, commodity. It's like we're, we're trading something where, you know, it's an energy, it's an energy exchange. And so we have to understand that we are depleting some energy while we do that. And that's why I always say, like, I really hope that what you're you're doing is something you really enjoy. And that's going to make a big difference. And you, you had a great example. If someone says, I literally hate running. And if you tested their nervous system after running five miles versus someone who loves running in five miles, I can guarantee you'll see absolute different physiological reaction on many different levels. Um, and some benefits for both, sure, but still, I think that if we could get someone in, involved in something that they love, that's when you see a little bit more ability to deal with that. And then, of course, the climate, you know, where do you live? Is it a hot climate? Is it a cold climate? It's going to deplete more. I live in a lot of predominantly hot climates, so I really have to keep that in mind, um, the way I train, the way I do things, and over, over months and months that will drain me. But I also you know, know how to eat a certain way and how to take certain herbs, and then psychologically some things bring me such joy and satisfaction that I'm able to buffer that. And then we have to listen. Uh, That's why I always say Agni is awareness. We have to be able to listen to our body, to feel when we feel something's too much or something's too much, and and communicate to whether it's a personal trainer or a coach or a friend that you're training with to get some feedback. You know, maybe you're doing too much because athletes tend to do too much. You know, they tend to continue to push it to the point where the coach is telling them, listen, if you keep doing this, you're going to see a problem and then they keep doing it and then they're, they cry when they have the problem, you know? So we have to, you know, we have to always try to get that cognitive awareness, um, which is, it's not easy. It's not easy.
0: Yeah. And I like your aspect on it of Agni as awareness and that, that brings us into the next subject I want to touch on and just kind of openly discuss as far as Agni in the mind channels. Yes. So we understand in Ayurveda that there's a concept. Oh, my dog is now wanting to get up here. So we understand that we have Manas Agni and Manas is the mind and that, you know, faculty. But we we understand in Ayurveda especially and other sciences that the mind channels are quote unquote invisible at least not visible to our human eyes just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there just like ultraviolet or uv just because the human eye can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist so you know we've talked about agni and maintaining flow of the nutrients through the shrotas and not be too depleted or overnourished but what about the mind channels? And, you know, first I was thinking about the mind channels and how Ayurveda understands that mental disorders can arise in two different ways. It can arise from a psychosomatic origin or a psychological origin so psychosomatic origin we've talked about you know importance of nutrition and digestion and exercise because we know that if we eat wrong or inappropriately for our constitution if we don't exercise appropriately then the what the and kapha doshas those biological humors will actually clog the mind channels. So for instance, Charka has beautiful writings in Charka Samhita about the five methods or five origins of insanity. And he goes on to describe in the book, one origin of insanity is vata. So that actual dosha causes the mind to become overrun and causes literally insanity the second is pitta the third is kapha the fourth is uh, kapha vata and pitta combined so those four are all psychosomatic they're from the origin of the gross physical body clogging the mind channels causing insanity and then of course the fifth one which we'll touch on as we go on is because of outside entities or grahas and different things like that. So when we talk about our lifestyles and the mind channels, it's really interesting. And I'd like to get kind of your take and feedback on the importance of maintaining those mind channels in not only our individual ability to make highly aware decisions but also our ability to maintain um you know immunity and social constructs
1: yeah that's a very important topic the idea of psychological or, or mental agni is 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 huge and i think i think that for example in ayurveda when they talk about someone's prakriti they, they almost always are, are referring to some kind of physiological characteristics. For example, you know, the, their, their jawline is a certain way, their eyes are a certain way, their hips are a certain way. That means they are blah, 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 bata, pitta. But we forget there's a, there's a mana man, man, dosha, there's a mental dosha. Um, and that's the importance of Jyotish, Vedic astrology. They would look at that and see what what, what is making up the psychological or mental constitution, the person would need to understand that or they would never function in a a balanced way. So I think that we do have to understand that our psychological, when we say psychological health, it just means clarity, our ability to understand our life, our, our role in our life, to understand our dharma, understand our karma, our swadharma our own unique path those are so vitally important to overall innate immunity and the innate ability for our body to literally to literally digest our life and that's what i always say if someone does not understand their swadharma their own personal dharma they are not able to digest life and just they do, they're just they're just stuffing life in their mouth kind of like for example like if if you don't understand your path in life it, it's like eating and watching tv it's like you're just you're just eating it, but you're not really tasting everything. You're just kind of you're kind of tasting it, but it's just going through because you're just focused on it. You don't know what you're doing. And we know that can over over time causes problems. This isn't not necessarily the first time you do it, but year after year after year after year um, can cause significant problems. So understanding someone's goals in life, what brings them passion, what inspires them what they want to do to connect to humanity, to give something back and what they want to do to grow as a human being are vital parts of our immune response and our ability to have Agni functioning on all levels.
0: Yeah. And I'd also be interested to, you know, have people contemplate how exercise and food not only affect the Functioning of information going through the manas shrotas, the mind channels, but also how much what they are watching. So, you know, we think of food as an intake. We know we have three receiving shrotas we've got the food receiving shrota, we've got the water receiving shrota, etc. But what impact does what people are psychologically? consuming affect their ability to really have this outer concept of life and what they're actually doing, what their dharma is, etc.
1: It's, it's It's extremely important. Um, the ahara or the intake of what we do mentally in many ways determines the result of our entire life. Uh, and, and I think I talk about this constantly and I think a lot of people go, yeah, 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 I get it. I, I, I get it. And they don't get it. Because we're we, we see we, we're seeing people more and more and more manipulated now by media and what they're listening to and what they're watching. And people now it's become such a part of their life that it's like an addiction that they don't even realize they're addicted to. That's, that's the dangerous part. So what we're feeding into our mind really does determine our expression of life. And a good thing that I always like to explain to people is that it's just like the Datus. And so we know that, you know, when we consume a piece of food, it has to go sequentially through each datu before it becomes a part of us. You know, it, 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 so it's a, like a 30-day process, you know, Ayurveda would talk about. That's why it can take a bit of time for a healthy diet to really start to change you. You know, I always tell people if they're going to change their diet, they need to get a, whatever their version of a healthy diet is that's sustainable, they need to stick with that for at least a month. And then they'll start to see some changes. It's the same thing with our mental, Ahara. Right? It's like people, this. These, it's not instantly. If they just watch something or listen to something, and they're like, oh, that doesn't bother me. But the, over time, these residues build up and they're subtle residues in the mental channels, the mental idea. And so over time, it starts to, to really have a, I like to refer to it as the background noise of their mind. The background yeah. noise of the chitta. It just gets filled with, too much noise, and they don't even realize it. And then before they know it, what what they are thinking, it's, they're not thinking anything. Their mind's just controlling them. Mm-hmm. They're like a puppet. Uh, and then that that's easily whatever they watch that night. That's influencing what they say. Whatever the persons they idolize, that's just what they think. They don't even know we think or anything like that. And in many ways, that was honestly that was one of the. Most fundamental reasons I wrote entering the desert was that concept. Um, from that is to get clarity of our minds in a world that can be very challenging. It's so important. Uh, so it's it's always work in progress, of course.
0: Yeah, um, and I think that um, people don't understand that the mind is actually a set of channels, and that. Yeah. You know, we we all, we understand junk food in, junk in, junk out, garbage in, garbage out. But it applies to the mind channels also. That's one of the reasons why I haven't had a television in who knows how long. I wasn't raised as a small child watching television. I don't subscribe to magazines. I don't look at fashion magazines because I understand that that becomes a massive influence on my mind. It's very important. Not just an influence, but actually as an intake. Mm -hmm. And I think that people miss that point that you're ingesting it, but through your mind channels.
1: Yeah. I'll have a whole chapter on this in, in the new tantric physics book about the role of sacred literature in tantric systems. And and, and the reason why that literature was there, the, of course, a, a certain literature could convey an idea, it could convey a teaching, but it's also a food for the mind. Mm-hmm. And over time, when people would memorize certain texts and study certain texts, that became the background noise of their mind. Mm-hmm. And, it was a, it, and that would determine how they were expressing their life. Um, and so that's that garbage in, garbage out idea, which people kind of always talk about, um, it's very true, but then a lot of people still think that they can easily hack it or get around it, mm-hmm. um, or not have to worry about it. And it's it's not that way. Everyone needs to watch that. No matter how advanced someone claims to be, um, they're still going to be affected by that.
0: Yeah, because if they're the same if yeah, they're listening yeah, yeah, I just to, don't have to yeah, because when they're mentally consuming garbage, it's a similar concept: garbage in, garbage yeah. out. So, you know, I wanted to take a minute to pause and reflect because you mentioned the sacred reading. And first of all, (laughs) I think that not enough people read to begin with. Um, You know, if I say, what are you reading? A lot of times it's a novel and that's nice. You know, people need some downtime, novel time, or, you know, some inspirational things. But really, I always find myself gravitating back to the older books and when I was preparing a portion of one of my chapters in the book that I'm writing, I loved how they described Agni and I thought it would be appropriate in this oh, particular discussion just to, you know, hear people are watching the news right now and they're horrified about the coronavirus And me, instead of having that anxiety, I will intentionally ingest something else to replace those messages. Yes. So today I was looking back at the Vedas and contemplating Agni. And I love what these words say, and I'll I'll paraphrase, otherwise it'd be too long. So describing Agni in Hymn 10.3, it talks about Agni as the, potent and terrific kindled Mm -hmm. for strength manifest in beauty shining and all knowing talks about Agni as the radiant light of Surya and the messenger of heaven shining with treasures and that Agni protects children and descendants and guards ever watchful care of our bodies as well as this paraphrase that Agni brings us good luck and intelligence and far-reaching blessings. And I just thought it was nice that that particular portion jumped out this morning when I was reading. And I think that it's really important for people to understand that concept of Agni is dampened or... Mm, not as optimally functioning when they are ingesting constant fear and paranoia because then yeah. i see that they're just reflecting it right back out fear and paranoia
1: yeah the the that's that verse is beautiful that could be a beautiful prayer that someone could say before eating um, um, to kind of awaken that Agni in the body as well. But I agree with you, the, the, this obsession with fear and an addiction to fear is rampant. Um, and, and I think that's, it, it, the more fear we have in a society is a reflection of the lack of faith we have. Um, faith in humanity, faith in ourselves, faith in an overall cosmic plan, you know, we could go on and on, but there's a there's a clear inverse relationship between fear and faith, um, which was one of the most fundamental method, messages of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, is that the more faith you have, the less fear you're going to have, and so that's something that I talk about all the time. Is that the more someone eats out of fear, watches out of fear, stays in relationships out of fear, uh, it's going to dampen the agni, cause significant problems over time. Um, personally and as a society
0: yeah and i just wanted to share a couple other things because they keep popping out so when i was reading in the bhagavad-gita there's a phrase in chapter four where they talk about Jnana agni yes and you know we're constantly being reminded by these ancient books to tend that Agni, to think about that Agni. And then at the same time, I thought to myself, well, what are people doing to actually do that? Okay, we're going to exercise. Yes. Right. If we can get everybody to do that, we'd have a healthier population. If we could get everybody to eat right, we'd have a better population if we could get people to stop obsessing about fear anxiety lack and disorder or all this negative doomsday i mean sure you know yeah stuff hits the fan and you have to deal with it but when our agni is poor mentally and physically we don't adapt as well because our intelligence is waylaid
1: yeah it's the uh the key key idea there is what I've I've written about this too is that we could say agni is equal to adaptability, and our ability to adapt to situations is a clear reflector of our the strength of our agni, um, because we're always going to have to deal with life challenges, personal and collective, um, and so that's a big thing. So the, our ability to adapt to this is a huge part of our ability to stay healthy. Our ability to continue to live in a crisis, or to get, or continue to thrive in times of of, want, of beauty and wonder, uh, but the adaptability is key. I see less and less people are able to adapt, and they want things to be the same all the time, uh, and that's just not how life works. Um, life works in cycles, and so that that's a huge point to to bring up and discuss.
0: Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with mental agni.
1: Yes, all of it. Yeah. It's a, our psychological ability to adapt is a key part of mana agni. Yeah.
0: Now, another subject that I wanted to touch on is the concept. We've talked a little bit about agni as intelligence or agni as consciousness, Mm -hmm. but I specifically wanted to touch about the concept of being able to digest our past digest yes. our thoughts and create more of that head So I remember having a conversation with you, um, early last spring, I think it was, and I was dealing with a, a mental commotion as we all do at some point in time, some Excellent. more than others. And I remember talking about the analogy of how Shiva had the poison in his throat And the importance of digesting mental poisons or mental vitiators, and that until we digest what is vitiating our minds. That it's basically like having constipation. If you've right. got your anavahashrota, your digestive channel that is clogged by too much food, it's dry or goopy. Same thing in the mind. What is clogging the mind channels? And I wanted to specifically ask you about techniques that you recommend for people doing this.
1: Yeah, that's an important idea. I always say that you know if people can't digest their dharma then they're gonna, they're, they will have sickness. And that means past Dharma too. Uh, and that means obsession with the future as well. And so I think our ability to digest our life is, is a key. And you can see this with people who can't let things go of the past or have become really defined in dysfunctional ways based on something that happened in the past, which is completely over. And so I, we have to work to get past that in, in any way that is a functional way for the person, whether it is through cognitive therapy, whether it's through exercise, whether it's through journaling, whether it's through a spiritual practice, or whether it's through all of that. Um, that that's usually all of that, and that comes through in different kind of ways. But people really need to engage with that, and, and I often refer to that as a, as a life trajectory, And, um, we, we, we really want to examine our life trajectories. It's like it's our lives are like a great novel (laughs) and great, great novels have this beautiful trajectory. Um, and I've often said this before too. Like, I think this is a bit of a radical statement, a bit metaphysical, but I think one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why people are unable to do this now is because they're not reading novels anymore. They're only reading little chapters. Even in school, there's different types of education systems now that say, we're not going to read the Faulkner book. We're just going to give you an excerpt. And then you'll get a feel for it. And then you'll know how Faulkner is. We're going to listen to this John Coltrane album. We're not going to listen to the whole album. We're just going to listen to one track. Matter of fact, we don't even buy albums anymore. Just download that one track. It's a metaphor for everything. So people aren't seeing a trajectory of anything now. They're not seeing, oh, wow, okay, this, this was a had a beginning and it had a crescendo and it had a down point and then, then it picked back up and then, Oh, and that's how our lives are. And so we really have to see that we have to start to learn to see that. And of course, like a good therapist would help someone do that. A good relationship to someone's guru would do that. So there's lots of options for people to get the tools for that. But for for example, yoga, the entire system of self-realization is about this. It's about deconditioning the mind. to to really get in there and examine what are the samskaras, what are the vasanas, what is actually causing me to function. Um, That's one of the most important tools of Vedic astrology is to sit down and look at all these symbols that are in the chart and connect them to psychological factors and then give the person tools to how to balance that, how to integrate these large collective forces in their lives and have them functioning at an optimum level, just as we would want to balance the doshas. And so I think that's why people need to just have these concepts in mind. It's, sadly, these things aren't going to fix themselves. <laughs> um, you know, so we need to discuss this and then engage in it. And people need to kind of see where they are and not be overwhelmed. Maybe pick some pieces at a time that they want to work on and slowly work on that. We're all a work in progress and um, we work over lifetimes to do this. <laughs> But it doesn't mean that any moment is wasted.
0: Yeah, very true. You know, I wanted to just give people who are maybe past food and nutrition Yeah. past exercise, people who have the activities already down pat, they've got a good physical body going on and how for people or methods that people can increase their agni, you know, not through nutritional biohacking or supplements or exercise, but additional things. And I know that, you know, in yoga, we talk a lot about opening up the shrotas and controlling the mind, stabilizing the mind, withdrawing the senses or properly utilizing the sentences or senses. That would be a totally different discussion. But, you know, each day, one of my practices and you've written about it in the entering the desert is working with fire and actually looking at fire and developing a relationship to the element of fire not just lighting a candle and walking away or lighting something in the fireplace and walking away but really joining in a conscious unity with that element or force that solar shakti
1: i'm really glad you brought that up because one thing that i've never said publicly but it'd be a good time to say it is is that entering the desert in my mind when I wrote it, it was essentially a handbook for Agni. Um, but I just didn't want to say that because I wanted it to be a book that people, everyone can understand who didn't understand Sanskrit. Um, but you you can see that now you intuited that your awareness was able to read the book and understand that. And I think that is a big thing. When If people already have what I refer to as the gift of health, if they've been, if they've have, have worked very hard or been blessed with a gift of physical vitality and, uh, and they're already Kind of focused enough to be eating any type of healthy diet. At that point, my number one thing that I always recommend is to be sure that they're cultivating an attitude of gratitude for health. That they that they cherish that and they realize how precious that is. That they don't take that for granted. And that that and then it, it's that's not to live in a paranoia. It's more to live in a perception of celebration. To mm-hmm. so really celebrate their health. To understand how precious that is. It's more important than money it's more important than success is to have that physical health and a lot of people don't have that um i always try to remind myself with that um with the high amount of physical activity i do and, and then i see someone who can't do that for, because of a physical disability or a sickness or and and i feel so lucky um and so that that's a very important thing so that's number 1 and number 2 even with their the relationship to food i, I want them to start to see food and the creation of food and the environment of food at a whole other level. Uh, and that and that while they commune with food, the food can become a sacrament, the environment can become a sacrament, and then they start to digest things in a different level as well to and extract. That's a very alchemical process. They're extracting from life. I, I don't want them to start extracting more from life after they've got that. It's, it's, we could use the analogy of like Kung Fu, right? Like you start out, and then if you work hard enough and if you're blessed enough you reach these higher levels and then once you reach the higher level you're like oh this is really just the beginning <laughs> now i'm kind of back at the start and everything i'm looking back at everything after i did and oh it's so different and oh my gosh i'm so lucky you know and that's how it should be you know <laughs> and so i think that's how we should look at life and, and within those situations
0: yeah i agree You know, and in yoga we a lot of times we think, Oh, it's just asana, it's this, but it's really in creating and making that that pejas, that agni, that that ability to digest life and understand our passage in life and why we're here, why we're in form and what's actually operating through us. Yes. And if we don't even have our digestive channels functioning correctly and we don't have our pranic channels functioning correctly by doing things like pranayama even ayurveda they say you know different breath techniques or pranayama techniques help facilitate digestion not only of our food and our jatara agni but it also helps clarify the mind channels so we see you know for people who are interested in looking farther they can look into different yogic techniques and we're not talking about just striking a pose Right,
1: Um, right
0: But the the pranayama techniques that actually help us facilitate clearing out those clogged mind channels or getting a better operation of our mind, as well as, you know, when you see a lot of different, depending on your lineage or um, area where you're studying, you may see a lot of people using fire for fire ceremonies. So, you know, the fire ceremonies, first of all, they they help purify the mind channels by identifying with fire, but they also help purify the air. They help do a lot of different things and this morning I went back and I was looking at something that really hit me significantly when I work with different mm, prayers, etc but it was a passage from the desert grimoire. And I always hear this in the back of my head now because it goes back to that simplicity, the passage where it says flame to palm and palm to flame. We listen as we call your name. Flame to eye, eye to flame. We listen as we call your name.
1: And it goes,
0: you know, on and on.
1: Well, that's pretty much the literal verse that describes what I was saying about it. when I wrote that. I was like, "This is the, this is the key that will rev- that will reveal that this entire book is about Agni." So you discovered it, <laughs> Bravo. Yeah.
0: Well, and then also, you know, people they have some populations have an easier time grasping on to language in their own native tongue. Yeah, but I wanted to before we you know wrap some of this up talk about bhakti Uh, and you know not everybody's into as i sometimes in a silly way say spitting rhymes in different languages mm -hmm. but the vast importance of it so in a lot of the lineages that i've been taught in we do very specific mantras that bring our awareness our consciousness on the element of fire whether it be a gayatri mantra or the visualization of flames, not flames that burn, but flames that purify. And I wanted to get your input on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think bhakti in general is a vitally important pathway, obviously in spiritual development, Mm -hmm. but also in society, health, physical health, psychological health. It's also something which really scares a lot of people and really threatens a lot of people. Um, And so I, Although I, I think that, you know, my personal, I would consider my personal life an embodiment of bhakti. So for me, it's very important, um, but not everyone can understand that. And so I think that we would want to encourage people as much as they can to start to try to understand what devotion to something means. What devotion to something, uh, how that can help them. And there might be a certain pathway, you know, there's stages of bhakti. There's different types of, you know, aspects of that and, you know, gradations of that. And that can be refined over life, lifetimes. And so, but we definitely want to encourage. And that's kind of where I was saying, like when someone develops a gratitude and, you know, they have gratitude for life, that's a type of bhakti. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. If they have
1: gratitude for food, that's a a beginning stages, like an infancy stages of bhakti. And so that's and so I'm always trying to get people to at least enter those stages and then hopefully see that cultivate. And then based on their karma and their proclivities, it might explode and go to different ways and different pathways. Um, and like you said, different traditions, of course, will connect someone to pathways of bhakti, to different deities, different pathways, different elements. And those are all so beautiful and they're very important. But I think bhakti is lacking in our culture. Um, and sometimes people have bhakti to um, parasitic and cancerous things. Uh, and that can be a, that can be a problem. And then you'd want to examine, where well, where is my bhakti? What is my devotion to? Am I devoted to uh, a Netflix series or am I devoted to, uh, a, a you know, a, a deity that inspires me or, uh, an attitude of service? You know, there can be many different gradations of that, but I think that we need to examine that. And, and not be afraid of it. A lot of people are, are deeply afraid of being devoted to anything.
0: Yeah. I find that when I do yoga teacher training programs that in the beginning, you know, when students hear me doing a lot of chanting, yeah. they're kind of taken back by it, maybe intimidated by it. And I explain Find something that you're devoted to. Find something that you feel an infinite love and connection to, even if it's going outside and sitting underneath your grandma's tree. Get some sun on your face. Get some fresh air. Get out of the house. Get away from the TV. Get away from your worries. And just still yourself for a little while, because just stillness and quieting of the mind is also very important for maintaining the proper flow and functioning of those mind channels. You know, if we, if we just thought about our mind channels as physical hoses mm-hmm. and what we put in and how we give ourselves time to process, I think that people, just like people compulsively eat, people compulsively yes. ingest information and it causes mental constipation. Without a doubt. And, you know, for the people who are interested in more advanced types of conscious development, I think that these concepts are critical before they do that. Otherwise, they develop mental ama. Just like in the body, we have ama that is from, you know, improperly digested food. That if we have mental mental agni in place, we can digest any mental ama or toxin that comes through and still function well or we end up with disease of the mind and as well as disease of the consciousness and i think that's really where we've come in pockets of our society if not even larger than that is people are mentally constipated with mental toxins because they have not properly stoked their entire body agni and they cannot tap into an Agni source outside of them.
1: Yeah, it, and the, the mental Ama is, it's much more dangerous than physical Ama. Um, physical Ama is often quite easy to get rid of over over time and implementing certain procedures. Mental Ama is much trickier. And so it's it's much harder to deal with, it's much harder to change, it's much harder to discover. <laughs> Uh, And so that's why. So other words, it becomes very important to discuss that and to address that and to think about that. Um, And I think that that's something that people still need to they're paying lip service to, but they're not doing a lot of direct engagement with and that's fundamentally the most important aspect of yoga without a doubt.
0: And I I love that you call it lip service because, you know, people are more interested in how's my hair look, how's my skin look, are my teeth white enough, you know, is my waist small enough, you know, do I look healthy on the outside, am I the right body weight, body size, et cetera, am I socially acceptable to the eye, but if we stripped away the entire physical body and just looked at their manas, their Mm -hmm. mind channels, Mm -hmm. what kind of crap would we see inside there? Yes,
1: yeah. And that's the thing. And I think we need people really need to keep that in mind. And I think a lot of people are, are afraid of bhakti and, and afraid of devotion because they've been disappointed before in life. They've been devoted to something and they've been hurt. And, and that's totally understandable. Um, but we need to get past that and we need to, you know, you need to continue on and find that and find people to help you see that, that the past is the past and that doesn't define you. And the future has not happened yet. That's not going to define you and that we need to really focus in the presence and having, an, you know, some kind of gratitude and joy for that. But also, like you said, what, there has to be some connection to something greater outside of themselves um, mm-hmm. in different ways. And there's an infinite number of traditions waiting to help them for it. And a, an infinite number of resources. Um, but as Shankar would say, you can't just say the medicine, you have to actually take it. You have to take the medicine yeah. for to door.
0: Yeah, we really have to practice what we preach and Mm -hmm. walk the walk, talk the talk, and actually do the work. Otherwise, when we have major upsets in society or in our personal lives or our internal microcosm, then we, you know, we freak out instead of saying like, okay, you know, we can do this. Right. Um, And I think that sometimes our society focuses too much on the luxury and the ease of life and I know particularly in the United States, I won't speak for other areas because I just won't. We are a very privileged yeah. society and we are toddled by our own creature comforts yeah. instead of just having the necessities yeah. You know, when I was small, we didn't have a lot. We struggled. We really worked with what we had. If you saw one strawberry growing out of the ground, you were like, oh my gosh. I mean, you were so excited to see that strawberry in your front yard because that meant you got to eat fruit that day. Yeah. And I think that we've become so removed by just the fundamental process of living that we have become mentally and consciously weak as an aggregate.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's a concerning issue that, that we do see a weakening of the psychological agni in that level of fortitude, adaptability. Usually I, I refer to it as stamina, fortitude, and adaptability on a psychological level. We're seeing that really lack now. So people, I always try to say there has to be, someone has to develop fortitude, stamina, and adaptability. And
0: those things, and I, you know, I think, I think too that even just getting down to basic training, you know, like doing a martial arts, it teaches you. Sometimes you're going to lose. Sometimes your opponent is going to, you know, get the upper hand, and it teaches a resiliency.
1: It's that's one of the reasons why martial arts has always been such a is huge fundamental part of my life since a child, and even today is it offers so many clear lessons about that um, that are straight to you there's right there um, you don't need to read sanskrit you don't have to read chinese and you can learn so that that is why i always have such a soft spot in my heart for martial arts and what the gift it can teach people for that absolutely it's well, much more it's much more than what people see <laughs>
0: It is it is, and I think that nutrition is much more than what people give it credit for in yes. many arenas and exercise and mental hygiene yes. and as well as that outspreading energetic hygiene that yes. you know everything that we're thinking is a vibration, everything yes. that we produce mentally whether spoken or unspoken is tapping into a greater energy and creating a larger energy back behind that absolutely and you know that that intelligence that agni to be able to cultivate the agni on so many different levels is so key for personal development and mass development as well
1: absolutely it's the sickness of avidya Uh, And if if we don't just, you know, find some kind of antidote for that, um, we're always going to have the same problems over and over and over and over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that at the very end of our conversation, that brings up societal karma. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's karma as a society, karma as a culture, all those things are substantially powerful forces that we have to they're like waves and we have to ride those waves and we have to become comfortable with them and then and as anyone who knows surfing you have to be able to adapt at every second and read the language of nature and then and also respect it because <laughs> it's a much greater force than you as a, as a single person yeah
0: that's yeah. a thing yeah well thank you so much craig i always enjoy having these conversations oh, awesome um, so much you know, for those of you who listen to the podcast, like I said, you can access my older podcasts. I don't do a lot of them, but when I do, I like to make them on subjects that I'm really passionate about. I don't make them because I want to give you something you want to listen to. For me, it's what do I want to talk about? So (laughs) Craig, I thank you for coming on and talking about Agni and all of its importance, and again, website's healthiervibrations.com, and Craig, what is your website?
1: Uh, Ayurvedaaustin.com.
0: Wonderful, so if you want to access this, I'll try to get it up and running on my podcast on Anchor FM, and on YouTube, and all of those good things, so until then, everybody have a wonderful day, and thank you very much, Craig. Namaste. Namaste.